Welcome everyone to another episode of Daily Freedom. And today I'm so excited because today I'm talking to a great friend of mine who I've been learning a lot in the last few months, Michael Zhao, who has been Hello. collaborating with me and uh, hosting Cashflow Games. And the way I met Michael is I reached out to him uh, as a rich dad, poor dad, cashflow host like myself. And I said, hey, I'm starting this, uh, this group here uh, would you like to join forces so that we have two groups? And he said, yes. So we met. We started Hold on, games. not just yes, but I immediately reached out to you. Yes. I mean, it wasn't it, like you sent me an email and I didn't respond. And then I called you. Yeah. Right. I think it's important that people know that because uh, so many times we get opportunities to meet with people. We get opportunities to talk to people uh, via text, via email. And the power of engagement over the telephone immediately uh, shows a lot of initiative. And that's why I do that. I don't always do that. However, to people that I think are going to uh, be able to create uh, positive change. And I think, and I know that uh, with the cash flow games and all the hosts that, that, that have collaborated with in the past, always has positive change. So I immediately reached out. Great lesson to learn in that. Oh, yeah. Think, yeah, I had forgotten about that. So yeah, so you called me right away. That's right. You didn't know who I was. Right. Just like, I'm like, I call it, Fernando, how's it going? Um, and you are? <laughs> and this is so interesting because usually my phone is on airplane mode, but do not disturb. And at the moment you called, it was not. So I, I'm sure Providence played a part there. I think so. <laughs> I think so. So how about we talk a little bit about... Um, uh what the game uh how the game was played uh last tuesday because we played the game every first and third tuesday mm -hmm. um and you were not uh here at present but you were present via phone and you were yeah. coaching people uh through the game and you did it masterfully because you were just listening to people's voice but you know the game so well you're helping mm -hmm. them um what are some say things you've noticed from uh, this Tuesday's game compared to the people that played, say, two weeks ago, if if anything. Sure. Well, let, let, let's let's start off by prefacing that business primarily when in communication is done over the telephone, and and as important it is uh, when you're making negotiation to to know what you're speaking and talking. And knowing what you're going to go for your step A, step B, and step C, it's also good to listen to people's voices, inflections, word patterns, and also the types of questions they're asking and how they're responding. For example, you ask someone, if you ask someone, how did you feel about that? Then you're going to get an emotional response. But if you ask somebody, what do you think about that? Then they're going to tell you what is their thought pattern. And so you can, as a, as a game administrator, as a game moderator, as a salesperson, or as a negotiator, or as a person who, who, who works with people with money, investments, and, and business transactions, I, I make sure that I'm listening for the types of questions that they're asking, how they're asking it, and what are they, what, what are they looking to accomplish? When they use words like feel or touch, or sense, then, then I'm going to respond in the same manner. However, I always want to be able to end it with, but I think that. And when I do that, then it, then it brings back into the mindset of 
that even though money's not emotional, people are. When we when we can when we can take it from the feel and the sense into the actual emotion of that money is just a it's just it's just a number it's just numerical so it's very linear and so it, it's important that we bring it back to that type of, of of gameplay and if we just understand that making investments is really just a type of gamesmanship whether it's negotiation or business then it's easier for people to make investment decisions because money's not emotional people are mm-hmm. <laughs> so. So with that in mind, though, um, I, I'd like to get some feedback from you before I go into it. Sure. So what kind of, uh, before I even got on the telephone, what, what what do you think their expectation was? Most of them had never played the game. So they were curious. They were curious. Um, I think there was a level of fun mm-hmm. because they it's a board game with the intention of also networking perhaps uh, finding uh, a new insight that they can implement in their business. I believe everyone present uh, had already done their first real estate deal, even though the cash flow game is known is not only real estate, but it's a good part. Mm-hmm. So everyone had done at least one real estate deal um, and they just wanted to, I guess, learn new ways to acquire more properties, have more cash flow and get more freedom. I think I didn't, and I didn't know that by the way, but, and I, um, but I think that in the way that my, my thought pattern works when it comes to money in finances, everything that I attempt to bring to the table uh, is very different because if what we know to be true is no longer true, then we want to know as soon as possible, how can we change the way that we think? Right. So my little bit of background about me for those who don't know who I am. So my background, not only not only am I an active real estate investor, uh, I'm also a mortgage, a licensed mortgage uh, loan officer or mortgage broker. Uh, and I've been doing that since 1996. And I started doing creative financing around 2000. Around 2000. Wow. OK. It, uh, one of my first deals with was with a private um, with a retirement fund. And this retirement fund, uh, I met them, they were loaning out money out of the retirement fund for, for financial advisor. And I had someone call me and say, Hey, Michael, um, I, I found this great deal. It, it's in central California. My acquisition price is $18,000. And I want, and I need to put about six to $7,000 into it. I think the value is about $80,000. Oh, wow. I said, okay. Can you get me a loan on it? And so that's when I began to really dig into understanding um, the, the federal laws on lending and what is illegal to charge for an interest rate, what is legal to charge for an interest rate, what are the fees that you can charge, and what even the minimum loan sizes that you can do in order to get that type of financing. So we ended up, even though the purchase price was $18,000, we ended up funding a $32,000 mortgage loan. Okay, so that included their purchase price plus the rehab cost. And you got a $32,000 loan. I think the mortgage payment on it, because it was a, a shorter time period, it was like $600. Mm. But the rent was $700. Oh, wow. And so he funded that. And that's and that was my first, uh, that was the first time I'd only been in the mortgage industry for four years. And and by the way, I had funded some already. My very first year, I, I funded some creative deals already to begin with um, in, in residential financing. 
but that was my first time that I uh, I got to do something creative. And ever since then, I've been uh, creating uh, creative financing deals as well as easy ones too, by the way. So um, the easy deals are fun too, by the way, uh, less, uh, less brain power and, and I could just shove them through the system. But I think that doing creative financing is something I've just naturally done. Mm. Mm-hmm. That loan there, uh, was it, was it a, a long-term, could he keep the loan forever or was it a higher interest rate? It was a high, like back then, uh, you gotta understand that back then, um, Fannie Mae rates were about 7% okay. for an extended period of time. And so I think that interest rate was somewhere about 14%. And still around 2014, still a high interest rate. Yeah. But to put things into context, his um, he put $500 into escrow mm-hmm. and he got $10,000 back. Mm. And and then remember I'm a mortgage broker. Then subsequently I refinanced the mortgage loan within six to eight months. Mm. So the interest rate was irrelevant to him. Yeah. He was only going to hold the loan for six months. Yeah. And so this is a person, by the way, he was W2'd. He had a very very healthy six figure income. And um, and he you know he had tax returns. We could have gone to the bank and all this, but he was just like. But then after doing all the work, um, he was just like. I could do all that work and maybe or maybe not get the deal or I could just get this done in the next five days and get that property. Mm. And so he began to accumulate in that same manner with that same financing that I was able to obtain for him. I think he accumulated about 14 properties. Wow. And that money, although the fund has is no longer, that particular fund's not available anymore, that money is available now across the United States. And I think that when people begin to understand that it uh, that money uh, is not necessarily for 30 years, a lot of people get this concept, they have to have money for 30 years. And yes, that is true. The question isn't about whether you're going to have money for 30 years. The question is, how many different people do you want to owe the money to for that same dollar? I'm not talking about like, um, like having uh, multiple, multiple uh, creditors. I'm talking about like, having the same amount of debt with different creditors for tax purposes, investment purposes, and, and return per, rate of return purposes. And I think that when we begin to understand uh, what the difference is between price versus terms, it's, easy, it's easier to understand how to, uh, how, to, how to obtain the money for the purposes of investment. And, and, and that is very much pertaining to the game, by the way. Yeah. So, because we because we we did some creative financing during the game. So let's talk about the game for a minute. What were I mean? I started throwing out some just random things. If you've never played the board game of Cash Flow One Hundred One, created by Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad author, one of two Rich Dad Poor Dad authors, I should say. Um, it you get these you get these cards. You read them off, and they are investment scenarios, and you have an opportunity to buy it. Except that the way that we play the game is it's a little bit different wouldn't you say yeah yeah so instead of uh that person being able to consider to bind that card or that deal that person cannot mm-hmm. they can only sell wholesale. The wholesale or assign their right of that deal to someone and they can then start getting creative on how much they want to get for the assignment fee if they want to just be paid off and be out of the deal or if they want to stay in the deal uh, for a longer period of time. Or 
one of the things that we that we briefly went over in that game, but we, we didn't do in this last game, but we did in the previous one, was it's we call it goodwill. Maybe we give the opportunity of, of what we may have in our ownership and possession, but we trade it for goodwill. A lot of people, you know, it's done every single day. I, I remember um, I acquired a property in 2005 for goodwill. Just do, just make sure you do me right. That was, that was the response. And then we'll figure everything else later. Mm. And then, uh, uh, and what is, but what does that goodwill mean? Goodwill could mean that um, you do a favor in return and it could be one year from now. It could be 30 years from now. You don't know it. Uh, some people call it karma. Totally. Yes. I remember one of the I think biggest lessons at the end of the game mm-hmm. um, was that one of the participants was being a little, I don't know if she did it on purpose. I think she did it on purpose uh-huh. that she uh, and someone else agreed on a deal uh-huh. and she was given the opportunity to write the contract. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah. So another thing that's really cool is the way Michael plays is there are written contracts. So there's small pieces of paper that you just put a line or two and then two other lines for the signatures. It's not a template, by the way. It's just, we, you write, we, we just write it down. Yeah. And then have the other person sign, you sign, and that just gets the momentum going into uh, modeling in real life what happens. So this person, she agreed on XYZ and, uh, and then she- Oh yeah, I remember now. Yeah, and now she added a clause, a line, that I think what the word was in perpetuity. In perpetuity. In perpetuity. Ever. So, and I think is that he, she had the first right of refusal on all his deals. In the future. For, in exchange uh, for. For the deal. For the deal. So he signed without reading it. <laughs> what an awesome lesson. Yeah, very good lesson. So he signed without reading. So when was her turn again? No, on his turn, and she was like, hey, you cannot offer that to anyone else. You have to offer it to me first. He, he goes, no, that was the last time. And she goes, no, read the contract. And she was being a little, you know, uh, she, she was trying to make a point mm-hmm. that people uh, need to read contracts. You know what? We, we've been teaching this lessons. Um, I need to give credit where credit is due. I learned this lesson. The lesson is contracts create wealth. I learned it from one of my coaches, Clinton Swain. And, and I think that that lesson of contracts creating wealth is so just so important. When, when I initially began to teach the contracts create wealth, I would say, well, what is a contract? It's just a, it's just a promise. Some people say it's a promise between two people, but I'll say, well, how many times have you promised? I'll be there in 10 minutes and you're there in like 20. And so being true to your word uh, as a contractual name, it's important to know not only what you're writing down, but also what you're saying, because that becomes a part, part of your, uh, your personality and your person, right? Um, and so, and by the way, we're fallible. Yeah. Right. So it's important that we figure out in, in, our, uh, in the nature of who we are, how do we make up for that? So in the game that we play, we, we saw that someone did not read their contract. So um, where does that show up in his life or her life? I don't know, by the way. 
I would have loved to ask that question if I was there. <laughs> yes, totally. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the way we play games uh, is is how we also do in life. So um, one reason I love playing the game the way you've been playing, Michael, is that we can we then get to create sometimes big change, changes, sometimes small changes to the behavior, to my behavior, to and because we're getting feedback within two hours. Um, we get to do so many deals because another way you play the game mm -hmm. is each turn everyone gets to play so if it's my turn to roll the die um then i i pull a card now everyone can can buy that that's card. right so everyone's playing in every turn right and it's interesting about that because like you could pull one card and you're negotiating with the whole group and and what we've been doing also is we've been having time limits Right. When you enter into a contract, you have a time limit to come up with your deposit. You have a time limit on when you're supposed to remove contingencies. You have a time limit on when you're supposed to close. And if you don't meet those contingency times, whether when you bring in a deposit, when you're supposed to remove your contingency, when you're supposed to close, it costs money. Yeah. Or it costs something, uh, reputation or, or, or other things. So I think that it's important to know that. The, the time period that we have in doing those things are, are just equally important as well, right? And so if we only have 30 seconds and we move on to the next card, then we're like, oh, well, if you want to move it on, and I've done this before, it's going to cost you $500, $1,000. Or if it's a bigger transaction, I might say, well, it's going to cost you $5,000. And you're like, then you have to make another educated decision. Do you want to do that? And then you have five seconds to decide that. So if you started with the end in mind and you know you wanted that deal, you need to figure out how to utilize your brain. And I think that when making an investment decision, you need to be able to figure out um, if you know what, if you know you want the deal, you'll be able to figure those things out right away. Yeah, absolutely. I've made mistakes before in life doing that before. Yeah. Especially yeah. with time. Yes, absolutely. I remember uh, when I started wholesaling, I think my second deal, I learned a big lesson. Well, my first uh, five deals were wholesale deals. And then I quickly noticed that the people in my investors uh, community, the ones that were more, most relaxed, mm -hmm. they were not wholesaling. They were buying and holding. They were buying properties and they were holding them forever, keeping them as rental. So I quickly moved into that. Uh, but for the first five deals uh, that I got, I remember being one of the first people at the property. And the phone call, so the person that I was calling those ads that back then in the penny saver or thrifty nickel, many ads that said, we buy houses cash, we buy houses cash, stock foreclosure, stock foreclosure. That person would have called maybe at least five people. And I was usually one of the first at their door. And even if I was not the first, for some reason, um, they were like, you know what? Um, I said, I, would, I, I like doing business with you better. And, um, and I probably know the reason now <laughs> I was being somewhat of a, of a therapist without okay. knowing I was being a therapist. You're coaching up. I was being a listener, actually. I was being a listener. And at the time I didn't know I was doing it in a way that made me feel their emotions, which I, I didn't like because most stories were sad stories. So now I know after being through, you know, hypnotherapy school, trauma release school, I now know how to listen without feeling their emotions still having empathy without having to feel the sadness they're going through and being there for them. Got it. So um, the point is that the, something about the uh, urgency and, 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 and doing things 
quickly. Um, but also making sure that, that you have the system set up for it. So you have, say, uh, from nine to five, you're able to you know, get a call and go to the property. Or if you're not someone that's going to the property, um, and this was back you know, 2004, so uh, the things were different then. Now we have Zoom, we, have, we can have DocuSign. A lot of these things can be done without you know, going to the property. But something uh, uh, in regards to what you said, which is uh, the word, keeping your word, keeping your promises and being fallible, um, you know, cleaning up quickly. Like for instance, we were supposed to have this 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 meeting half hour earlier. That's right. And I was like, hey, Michael, I I, I love, I, I need 30 more minutes. Sure. Even though, you know, we had an agreement and you said yes. So having- um, Which is a good lesson too. The number, the numbers are negotiable, right? Even time. Yeah, yeah, yes. So being okay with being infallible, that you know, life will throw surprises every day, and that you know, then realizing what is the cost that this move, this request will have on the relationship. So, for instance, if I have invested a lot of uh, goodwill with Michael, and then I ask in this say relationship of a, of a bank account, let's say a metaphor of a bank account and I've been investing deposit deposits, just putting deposit and then I have to make a withdrawal. Hey, Michael, uh, I need 30 more minutes. Can we postpone for 30 more minutes? You know, Michael go, okay, yeah, there's a lot of goodwill in this bank account, which is our relationship. So being able to, you know, uh, making deposits in relationships as bank accounts so that if one needs to withdraw, there's money there. It happens. I know that I've screwed up relationships in the past because I just, um, I don't think I was uh, mature enough. Uh, I think that we can be uh, emotionally secure, emotionally sec uh, mature in ourselves with the way that we do business, but be immature in the way we handle money in, be immature in the way we handle certain whatever different types of relationships so i think that it's important that we understand what are our strengths what are our weaknesses because just because we are good in one aspect of our life does not mean that we're completely balanced in others mm. wouldn't you agree yeah yeah and when it comes to making investment decisions or making business decisions we need to be able to understand understand that because i know that uh, my lack of understanding has put me in some really bad situations Mm. and um i mean not like life-threatening bad or anything like that but you know it's just uncomfortable yeah and you just have to be it, it's not that we're okay with it we just need to figure out how to get uh how to how to how to get through it yeah how about we talk a little bit about the lessons absolutely so let's um the the lessons that we like to begin with up front are number one contract create wealth and i think it's important that we understand uh, what are the agreements? Uh, one of the books that I defer to uh, a few times in my life is The Four Agreements. Yeah. Have you have you read it? Oh, I love it. It's one of my top five. Sure. He's a local guy here in San Diego County. No way. Yeah. Don Ruiz, Miguel. Yeah. yeah. Don Miguel Ruiz. Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. yeah. Uh, up in North County, actually, on the coast. All right. I got to have you back. Yeah. We got to figure, figure it out, right? So um, it's, uh, and what I, what I began to also realize is that when we're having conversations, if we have the willingness to see that the other person 
um, ha uh, if, if we understand that there's a mirror image of who we're talking to on the other side. And when, when making negotiations, and, and by the way, we're still talking about contracts create wealth. We're still talking about the same lesson. When we're talking to the other side, whether emotionally or whether they're talking to them in business, we have the ability to read into how they are receiving that information in the way that we use our words. And you're a, a master, master of that, by the way. I'm not, but- uh, oh, Yes, you are. I, I just have certifications in so in an ama amazing schools you you have your own you know experiences just, you are thank you so i think that when we understand that and by the way this is something recently new for me i would say even so even though i've kind of known about it in the last few years it's something that i'm beginning to understand more so probably in the last year of how to read the other side and i'm talking about reading on the telephone or in person so that i can see where are they responding from so that I can meet them with where they're at. Whether I like the answer or not, it's irrelevant. But if I can meet them with where they're at, um, then I'll be able to speak through negative circumstances and into some kind of agreement. And that's when we talk about doing your best. Mm, which is the number four right. agreement. Because I just didn't understand what it meant you know, always do your best. Of course, we always do our best, but we don't always do our best. And we don't even know how to do our best in understanding the other side mm. because we're self-serving. We want our way to be done so, so much, um, whether in love or in desperation, they could be very similarly related, I guess, um, that, that, that I think that we, in making business negotiations and understanding how to create an agreement for that purpose, is going to be critical in understanding how do you create that agreement? How do you create uh, a contractual agreement in time, in money, in in terms? We talked about like that the uh, that our player was what wanted to get first right of refusals on all deals in perpetuity. I, I mean, like I've written stuff like that before, but never executed it on that. Because I just felt bad for the other person. I'm like, how could you have not have read that thing? Mm. Right. But she was relentless. She had no mercy. And I, 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 if I, I didn't, honestly, I actually didn't like it. Mm. Yeah. However, I appreciated it. Yeah. Okay. So understanding what, what are the contracts that we read in order to create wealth? I know that I've read multiple con I'm not an attorney, by the way, at all. Um, but I've read contracts for attorneys in certain in certain types of business when they didn't understand when certain clauses would mean so that I would be able to provide some kind of professional advice on what I think the interpretation is. And I think that when we understand that, then it creates not only monetary wealth, but also emotional, uh, physical, uh, whatever, different types of way to create health. Yeah, and this reminds me of the story that you've told a couple of times about your daughter. Oh my goodness! And, and 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 how your kids have have become what your kids have become as a result of you know having you as their father and teaching them mm -hmm. um, the, how to play the game of life mm -hmm. uh, using principles such as contracts uh, you know create wealth. Can you talk to us about that story? Uh, Thank of, you of your daughter. Sure. So we're playing a board game called Risk, 
I, I forget, I think Parker Brothers or Milton, I don't remember. It's, it, it's a board game a lot of people know that you can buy at the store. So the way we're playing is we also using contracts. So I'm coming down from South America or in the board game at Central America. She and, and there's a player down South in South America, uh, Brazil and Venezuela. And then my daughter has, has a, a team that's coming in from uh, West Africa. So the contract that we create was that she's going to attack West Africa into Brazil, and I'm going to attack from Central America into Venezuela. We're go both going to attack so that we can wipe out the player that's currently in South America. So we write out a physical written contract. I'm coming into attack. She's coming into attack, and we're going to destroy them, we're gonna, and, we, and we're going to share the wealth. So we write it. She signs it. I sign it. I go in, and I go in and attack first. Why? Because I said I would, because I have the first turn. I go in and attack. I nearly wipe out my armies with the full um, assurance that she's going to go in and do the same thing. So uh, I go in and then she goes, it's her turn. And you know what? She, and, and she does nothing. Nothing. I said, why are you breaking your contract? Why are you breaking our treaty of peace? Because I for sure now I'm going to be wiped out. And so she says to me, but dad, you should always know that time is of the essence and you didn't put in the time on our contract on when I was supposed to attack. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> she learned well. She, she had a good teacher. She had a you. great teacher. <laughs> she had a she knew exactly what she was doing. Um, and, and I lost the game by the way. Oh, wow. How about the story of uh, of the lease that she had for her college? Uh, so she yes, so um, in her freshman year of college, she lived in the dorm. Then the second year, of course, just like any a lot of other college students, um, she signed the lease, and uh, and it was for a large. I mean, it was for a large apartment. Um, I don't know how many units were there. Those. I don't know. It was an apartment building over a hundred units and it was a master lease. And, um, and, and, and so COVID comes and we have no plans on, uh, on moving her back in. Why? Because I mean, so we live here in San Diego County and she's, and she goes to, and she was, she's now since graduated. Um, she was going to school in Waco, Waco, Texas. We're like, we're not going to pay the rent over there. And we're certainly not going to uh, move you back in. But since we haven't started the lease, it's no big deal. Well, they go in being uh, uh, being a very large, and this, by the way, the property management company uh, that owns the apartment building, they own several hundred apartments, mm -hmm. not apartment units, but like several hundred apartment buildings nationwide. Wow. Okay. So this is not like a small company. So me, being the contract reader, I read the contract. And so they send me the collections. Okay. And I think they said, I owe them, I would say in excess of $6,000. Okay. So I'm not going to say who the apartment manager is I'm not going to say who the apartment building is. So don't ask. Um, but I will say that, that their contracts are faulty. <laughs> so I go in and I, and I asked, you know, I'm talking to the manager. They're sending me back and forth. I'm now being, now I'm talking to the collection agency. They don't even, they don't even take my calls anymore. I'm only talking to the collection agency. Okay. So I go in and I, and, and, and I read the, the, the Fair Debt Collection Practice Act. And then I go and read the real estate laws in the state of Texas when it comes to rental agreements. And then I read their contractual rental agreements. 
And I called him and I said, here are the, here's the federal statute, here's the state statute, and this is your contract, which makes your contract invalid. And you know what happened? I get a letter from them saying, um, <laughs> I get an email, not a letter. I get an email saying, okay, you don't, you're right. We don't know you. You don't owe the money. You don't owe the lease. You don't owe us anything. And we're going to delete your collection from your credit report, which they did. And hers too, because she signed it. And I signed a notarized agreement saying I was going to be a, um, a guarantor, but we got on a lease. Mm. And it was really unfortunate for her roommate situation because um, they threatened to, because they, I mean, just understand that when you're working with a larger company, they're like, well, if you don't pay, we're going to sue you. So they're, you know, threatening lawsuits, they're sending this, this, that. And I'm like, well, you can threaten all you want, but I know what the contract says. Mm. And so what it created was an opportunity and a moment for, as a teaching lesson. Because not, not only not only for my daughter to experience that because I was having her do it with me, but also uh, an experience of just because someone has bigger attorneys, because there was, there was a point in time they also sent me to, to their attorney as well. Mm. That, um, that you just need to be able to understand that just because someone hired an attorney does not mean that they're right. But that doesn't mean that just because you think you're right, that you're right either. You actually have to do the work, mm. right? So that was important to, that I, I did the work and I, and just a little bit of background about me. When I first, before I entered into real estate, I was in debt collections as a bill collector, my very first job mm. in the real world. So I, under, I understood the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act enough. I wouldn't say in its entirety at all. I would say I understood it enough on how to read the contract on what is voidable meaning that it's possible to be void what is enforceable meaning that they can actually enforce a legal action and and what it is they are able to do versus just uh, uh what i call a veiled threat a veiled threat meaning that they they're throwing smoke and mirrors and using fancy words right but you can't see what's beyond what they're talking about because you just don't understand. So sometimes they'll use fancy words like litigate. Litigate's kind of a fancy word, I think. I know what it means. And I think most people know what it means, but they don't, they, they, litigation could mean that they're going through the process of litigation, but you're not going to court. It might be the process of going through mediation before going through a court process. It can mean a lot of things. That's why I, saw, I call it a, veil, a veiled threat because you don't, you don't see what's behind that veil. And so when you, when you, when you understand what is a veiled threat versus, uh, versus actual civil action, then it makes a difference. Mm. And, and you have to know when to pick your battles. Yeah. Sometimes it's a big battle, you know, millions of dollars worth of, 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 of veiled actions, I guess, or something as small as just a few thousand dollars. And so uh, great stories um, to add, both related to my daughter's experiences. And because I did, um, I don't think I've ever told this, but I had the same experience with my son uh, about nine months ago now uh, in Santa Cruz here in California, because that one was in Texas, so different law. So I had a different one here in California with my son that we also exited. <laughs> I don't think I've told that one to you before, but no, yeah, but yeah. I think that. I think that just under it's not it's not understanding real estate law. It's just understanding 
that uh, going back to what she, our, our previous player did, read what you're writing and read what you're signing. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And um, for the folks watching, listening that, you know, may have in the past had a reader's block, you know, by reading, uh, starting to read a paragraph and then just the mind going into this, like, oh, I don't like this. What does this mean? Um, then I suggest um, either getting a dictionary, you know, looking up each word on a dictionary or becoming friends with someone who's really good in reading contracts or hiring an attorney or hire an attorney. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I, again, I'm not an attorney. I don't even play one on TV. Yeah. I just know, I just want to be able to understand what I'm reading. Yeah. And I was wondering here. So for instance, I, I, I love contracts and the, my first contract for wholesaling for buying properties. Sure. I remember, I think it was only four sentences because my mentor at the time, he was like, he believed in simplicity and he did, he wanted the sellers to be able to read every word, understand every word. And there are only four um, clauses and each clause is one sentence. It, it would be very easy for them to look at my one page contract or look at the, uh, the competitors, you know, two, three, four pages, several clauses with fancy words and go, you know what? I like simplicity. I'm going to go with you, Fernando. What state was that in? Can I ask? Florida. Okay. So I would say the the state that has the longest residential purchase agreement contract is California. Yeah. Okay. So when you're in another state, let's say it's Florida, or it could be Georgia, it could be Missouri, Ohio. Are you speaking about the Realtors contract? Mm -hmm. okay. I'm going to get to your contract in a second. Right, got it. Okay. Because your wholesale contract is actually, depending upon the state that you're in, and depending upon how, because I didn't see any of the wording, depending on how it's written, is actually in addition to the background because you own the real estate contract, which is why you're wholesaling the property. Yeah. Which means that you have an agreement to buy a property with some a, with a seller according to those terms of that initial agreement. And then you're selling the rights of that contract on your four sentence, on your four sentence paper. Mm -hmm. And so without re and again i haven't read it uh your wholesale contract that little short one and i didn't read your residential purchase agreement or i didn't read your your agreement with that seller but if there's a clause in there or uh if there's some way that if i'm the buyer and i know what i'm doing and i sign your simple one and i also understand what the laws are in the state of florida and i say well i know what he signed on the other end even if he doesn't and i'm going to pursue him for x y and z now, I'm not saying that's what now that obviously that didn't happen. Right. Right. But um I but, remember the first one was that um I, Fernando, and slash assigns mm -hmm. and or assigns, uh you know, promised to buy this property for X amount. Sure. So then so that means that means your contract that you signed with that seller, everything on that original contract also was assigned to him as well. Yeah, to the to 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 the end buyer. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. And um, yeah, so something to do with um, the fourth one is that the seller is selling the property as is. Mm -hmm. They don't have to do anything. Um, and it's mainly agreements of uh, here's how much it is. I think the second line was the price. Mm -hmm. Third line was inspection period. And sometimes I would put zero 
Okay. Zero time. Like mm-hmm. I don't need time or I need two weeks, depending. Mm-hmm. And um, it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, well, one thing I, I learned, uh, I think my, my second year that I wanted to touch on was uh, the, no, I think it was the third deal. Because the second deal, my, the third deal, uh, the, the buyer was a rehabber. It was the same one from the second deal. So she liked doing business with me. She's like, Fernando, I like, I like doing business with you. It's easy. Your contracts are simple. Um, she made a lot of money in her first deal because she purchased and rehabbed. Mm-hmm. Then the second one, she said, um, hey, Fernando, I'm just curious, how much do you have this property under contract for? Mm-hmm. And I made a mistake of telling her because mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, this is going to be the second deal. Uh, did I'm- you did you already have her sign the the wholesale contract? No, I had not. Oh yeah. Oh man. So um, so I said, you know, I have a contract for, um, I believe at the time it was one of, uh, one of five, mm-hmm. and I was selling it to her for one twenty five. Okay. And the property was worth close to two hundred. Okay. Um, so she's gonna make some a pretty penny there, and so was I. Uh, but then she, when I told her the numbers, she had a physical reaction. Like, I think, and the physical reaction was that I think I don't think she ever saw a wholesaler making twenty thousand dollars on a deal before. Sure. And that was in her uh, reality check. It was. It was you know if it didn't go with with what she was comfortable with <laughs> and then she asked me to lower it to five thousand which i didn't have any cards because i i didn't promote the property to other people because i just want to do business with her mm-hmm. uh, which is another lesson always promote to others have people lined up so that if some something changes with your main client you have others waiting yeah, abundance. Abundance, yeah, which is what you teach, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, wanted to, to touch on that. You know, the importance of if you're going to be upfront with uh, someone you want to do business with and disclose how much you're going to make, uh, either refuse to disclose it um, or if you're going to disclose, be ready to uh, have a back back uh, offer, backup offers. Mm-hmm. I remember I was wholesaling a property here in San Diego and um, I was supposed to come up with the deposit in three days. So the minute, the the day that it went into contract, I started getting on the telephones and calling people. And by the second day um, I had like kind of four people ish um, lined up, but nobody wanted to pay my price. Michael, real quick, can you check the time that you have? Uh, you had a okay, we good. Okay, cool. okay, and and so um, then I started thinking, okay, what is it about the price that that's causing? Me? Well, I got to come up with the wholesale fee, then I got to finance it. Da, 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 da. I tell you what, um, what's the interest rate that you're borrowing at? Well, I'm borrowing at X percent or whatever. I said, great, I will finance my wholesale fee at eight percent if you come up with a certain amount of money up front. And it, and and so all four of them are like, well, wait a second. That means that I was going to finance X amount of dollars for um, for whatever they were borrowing at, but that's a lower interest rate. So I actually could finance at that point. I think I financed like just over 20 some off that it was a wholesale fee. So they gave me a down payment 
and I had them make me installment payments over over four months. And so they were making me, they were making me, I was making interest on my wholesale fee. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> right. Because for me in lending, I was just like, well, I'll just charge an interest rate. I'll make it simple interest. So it's not too complicated. And I'm just like, it's going to be this interest rate. So this is the interest on top. I'm charging on top of my wholesale fee. Pay me this up front. And when you close escrow, this is what it is. Oh, and sign this promissory note that I'll record so that I know I'm going to get paid. And because the, because the fees that I were charging, understanding the lending laws were not usurious, I was able to charge it, record it, and get paid. Mm. It's always price versus terms. Yeah, I love that. And I love how- So if you're a wholesaler, you're like, I want X amount of dollars and your guy doesn't have the money to pay your wholesale fee or you're not comfortable with it, you can say, well, why don't I finance it? Or even better, I'll tell you what, I will, I'll reduce my wholesale fee. In fact, I'll charge you half that wholesale fee but put me on title as a divided interest and I want 5% of your profit. If you decide when to sell. I remember I was playing, we were playing a, a cash flow game in downtown San Diego and they didn't write down who had the controllable interest of when to sell. I had one seller that said, oh, I want, I want to sell now immediately. And the other says, no, I want, to, I want to do a buy and hold. I'm going to hold this forever. And the seller's like, wait a second, this is top of the market. We're doubling, no, we're tripling. No, we're no, we're making four times our money. We, I want to sell. And I looked at him, I said, do you have a contract that says who's supposed to control that? No. And I looked at him, this is a person when they were playing the game and he still does this, by the way. He does two commercial transactions a month. Wow. As an investor. That's huge. All right. It's and so he looked at- one, one commercial transaction a year. Okay. He told me, and I just talked to him, actually, he sent me a text yesterday. He said, you single-handedly changed the way I negotiate deals now. And, and, under, and I under, before I would just understand that contingencies were about time. Now I understand how to use time, not just in paper, but also in, not just on the contract itself, but also on ownership. When to own, have a minority interest, but have majority control. So he, be, he began to have minority interest in other properties, but have majority control as a result of understanding that one deal in, in the board game. Mm -hmm. And so just because you have a, just because you have no cash in the deal, less cash in the deal, doesn't mean you have less control. It just means that you now have a, a chip to now negotiate with, which is something that people don't, some people don't understand. Some people do. Right. So these are all, these are all concepts that are, that you are able to learn when playing the game. Yeah, and it's fascinating because before meeting you, I had heard those uh, some of those strategies, but never implemented. Implemented. implemented through a game, which is a huge. For instance, for this this guy that you just mentioned, that now he does you know twice two deals in a commercial month. a month, and, and out of one insight to playing a game. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. He had just flown in from uh, Carolinas. I won't say which one, um, uh, but he. Uh, um, but as a result, now he and he's still doing business, by the way, and and I, and we're and I and now I'm going to be traveling uh, uh, over there to be able to teach some of those lessons. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's it's going to be pretty cool. But I think that anyway, we will. I I would love the opportunity at least here in San Diego. If you're if you're listening or if you'd like to play. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity.
to come and learn. And because we do two things that are different. We do, the first thing that we do is we ask, what are your expectations, right? Yeah. The second thing that we do is that we ask, what did you learn? I think one of the things that they said is, I want to learn how, uh, what not to do. I want to learn. So I want to always be successful. That was one of what, what the, 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 that woman said, right? Yeah. I want to learn so that I don't fail. I said, okay, that's fine. And so I put her in situations which she could. To learn. Yeah. She's like, I didn't want to fail. I'm like, I know. That's why I put you in a situation to fail. Yeah. You know, better. If you're going to be just another number or another statistic, you better fail. In a, it's better to fail at the board game than in real life. Exactly. Because I failed in real life before. It's not fun. Yes. Yes. And having only say a minute or two to make decisions. Uh, whereas in life, we probably have a little bit more time than that. But I think we can make decisions in a split minute. Yeah. Don't you think? Especially when one of the, the principles or the lessons is begin with the end in mind. So if one has the clarity to know what the end desired result is and having all decisions be filtered to that, then it's, right. you know, once a person has the priority, decisions are made quickly. If people are taking a while to make decisions because the priorities are not, priority is not clear. And I'm using that on purpose, um, the word uh, priority because I just learned from the book uh, Essentialism mm -hmm. that the word priority was always priority, not priorities. Mm. It's priority, just one. They're not priorities. It's just one priority. Got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so someone starts sneaking in that plural in priorities. There's no priorities. It's just one. It's what's the priority? Got it. So I think I mean these are some great lessons that we learned. Um, just in that one game, we just talked about two or three scenarios. We actually went through, I think, uh, if I had, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think we went through about 15 buying opportunities in the game itself. Oh yeah, totally. We had a lot of contracts. Mm -hmm. And some great lessons that were learned. We've now played in person three times in, with me moderating uh, the game. And I think that whoever has an opportunity to play uh, with the both of us, whether I'm here in person or whether we're doing it uh, virtually on the telephone, there's a lot to learn. Yeah, totally. Yes. So um, there will be, let's see, if you go to createfreedomdaily.com, at the bottom, there's a link for the Eventbrite. So you can RSVP. And if it's your first time, uh, text the number on that Eventbrite uh, so that you get a, a code. Uh, so you uh, your fee, your first time fee is waived. That's right. We love an opportunity to to play, to learn, to have fun, uh, and most importantly, network so that we can actually create investment opportunities that will create more rates of return. Yeah. Not only returning to the game and also returning to your wallet. Oh, yeah, totally. And um, it's uh, it's something that happens every first Tuesday and every third Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Every first Tuesday, every third Tuesday. I'm not at every one. I'm only at one of them. Right. So I will I will be hosting the time the days that Michael is not available. Right. But I will be at the next one. Oh uh, yeah, which will be the third Tuesday. That's right. And I and what's going to be interesting about that? Uh, one of the things I attempt to also implement is what are to what's today's economic conditions, so that we can implement it into the board game itself as well. Yeah, I love how you change things uh, to reflect what's happening. So, for instance, if a card says the rent is a certain number, you know, you were uh, 
adjusting for inflation. Absolutely. That's that's just brilliant. Yeah. Or, or a market card came up. Market card is telling what the economic conditions are so you can make a selling decision. Nice. And it doesn't say so on the card. But as a as a as an administrator of the game, I said you can either a choose to sell and you can make whatever profit ten thousand, twenty thousand, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, whatever that dollar amount will be, or you will now also have the opportunity to increase your rent. So if your end in mind is to increase your rent, that's okay. One of the things that has never been brought up before, but also that they can also do. What if you decide to refinance the property to decrease your cash flow, but get more cash flow up front? Yeah. That would be good. <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? Well, you can now collect, you know, we now know the values have gone up. And during this last two years, there have been thousands of homeowners that refinanced their properties, pulled out equity out of the property at 2%, 3%. And now they go out, buy more property or invest into the 401k or into crypto or whatever, right? So one of the things that people have not yet asked is, hey, the, I could sell my property for a $200,000 profit. Can I take out $20,000 out and sitting cash out and keep my pay, and keep my rent the same? Yeah. Because interest rates have gone down. No one's ever asked. Yeah. But yet the Burr strategy that's, that's, that's advertised in bigger pockets or uh, multiple other um, uh, re real estate investment outlets um, it's it's not practiced. If it's not practiced in the game, it's not going to be practiced in real life. And so I bring those economic conditions into the board game so that people can start practicing um, what it is, which is not is when if you actually play the board game. By the way, I played Monopoly the same way we played cash flow mm. at home with my kids. Okay. And my kids are like, Dad, no more contracts, please. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, I mean, we did it. We did it to where like, okay, fine. No, uh, you don't have to pay rent for four turns. Yeah. Or we'll reduce the rent by 50%. But in return, I want this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that um, whatever it is that you have, uh, that you have a willingness to think about in order to put cash back into your pocket in the board game, we'll also, we'll also integrate it into the, into the, into the game itself. So come on over and play. Yes, totally. Um, there are links below uh, to uh, Michael's uh, email, uh, Google voice number, also mine. Uh, do you want to share that number if you know by heart? Or... I don't know by heart, but feel free to go ahead and send me an email uh, and send anything over to Fernando and we'll be sure. But even more importantly, show up. Yeah, totally. So uh, go to uh, createfreedomdaily.com and then there's a link there for you to uh, register for the next. Uh, and there's only six spots open. So it's very, you know, we keep it intimate. So make sure you RSVP before, you know, the spots are, are, are taken. Awesome. This is great. I'm really looking forward to not only um, playing more uh, and also getting to know every, all the listeners and watchers that are on the show. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, there, there are, you know, lessons we didn't cover. Yeah. Um, such as, you know, uh, ask something about asking six times. Yes. You'll, I guess they're going to have to listen to the show more. Yes. So there, there are like, Michael has like some jams and lessons that I've been like fascinated just telling him, hey, uh, let's share this with everyone. So I've already written down. We, and we're going to have shows on this one. I have over 30 of them written down. Okay. And we teach them during the game. So every time we play the game, 
I'm going to have a different, because of the economic conditions that change, different lessons, different economic conditions. So if you play more often and you want to come, um, please do, because there's, there's a lot to learn because every time there's, because the news is always changing, whether it's with the Sam Brakeman freed in, in crypto or the, the Federal Reserve, instead of raising interest rates by 75 basis points, they're lowering it by 25. And you're going to want to know, how does that affect your investment decisions? So come on over so you can at least have what I think is my opinion as an educated decision. Michael, thank you. All right. All right. Bye, everyone.